Well, good morning. Our scripture for today is from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 14, the first 11 verses. Now, the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It, we could have sold, it could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her sharply. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. May God add his blessing to the reading of the word this morning. We have a special privilege this morning. Tom Christie, our church chair, is going to come and, and bring the message. It was, it's a message that he actually preached in the Democratic Republic of the Congo earlier this year. So Tom, come and, and bring us the message this morning. <laughs> Morning, everyone. It's good. It's good to be here with you. It's good to see your your faces out there. Um, and for those of you uh, listening on the uh, internet, hi, mom. I bet you're out there right now. Um, it's so good to have you. Some of you we don't. Some of you we haven't even met you yet. And uh, we we would sure like to make a connection. And uh, we're trying to figure out how do we how do we maintain fellowship in this time of COVID, and, and uh, I'm so excited that we're going to start on this uh, 40-day uh, prayer journey together. Wow, what a great idea. I wish I'd thought of it. Um, it's fantastic, and, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to, uh, to get started and, and support that, and that we can do that together now for the next, next 40 days. Um, when I was in... Congo uh, in February. I, I did. I, I know that every time I go, they will ask me to to preach in church, and uh, I, I had been aware of this passage before I went. I was quite excited to uh, to to preach about this this passage there, and preaching in church for me is is a is, is quite quite difficult there. I have to acquire some new different uh, vocabulary. Uh, I, I go there, I help the, the, the guys that I work with. We, we had a project, we're fixing our tractor, we're out working on a sawmill, we're putting a new pump in the well at the, at the hospital, uh, and I can do all those things. I don't have to practice much. Those, are, those words and uh, to describe those things are right on the tip of my tongue in Lingala, uh, but Bible Lingala, I have to. So I, what I do in the evenings 
people are outside their homes, sitting uh, uh, near their homes in the evening, in their compounds, and I can go down and just walk through the village. And I know certain people. I can just sit down with them and say, hey, let's read this passage together. Let's, let's go through this. And uh, we read it together. We discuss it. And I, and I, have, to get that, I have to get that vocabulary to talk about this just, just there on the tip of my tongue. Okay? Maybe as I get older, it might take a little longer. Okay? I've got to have, I got to load the hard drive so it's right there, okay, and I can access it when I would go and, and speak in church. Um, and then after I did that, I, I sent out an email to people back here. Said I, I just happened to be around Wi-Fi somewhere. I can't remember where. And and I uh, emailed back and included Doug in it and said, Hey, I preached on this one, this uh, chapter uh, 14, 1 through 11. I love that. He said, Oh, well, you should. Uh, preach on it in uh, Salina. And I said, uh, Doug, yeah. thought, Doug, no one in Salina speaks Lingala. Um, except, except for uh, our sister, Marta Klein, who is here today. She just came back from Congo. And she spent, uh, she spent now a total of six years serving uh, the church there in, in medical work. So I hope that after we leave, you will be able to, uh, to greet her and welcome her back and Thank her for her her service uh, in uh, in that work in the in the mission in Congo. Um, let's get let's get into this story. Boy, it is just it's packed. Mark is just he says it's amazing how he can say so much in in such a compact passage. It's it's a time when Jesus has it's towards the end of his ministry. So he's been going uh, through all the towns and villages of the area, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, and healing uh, every sickness and, and disease. And along the way, bit by bit, he's revealing his identity, who he is, the Messiah, the sent one of God. And so we come to this point in the story uh, chapter 14 of Mark. Now the Passover, it's a key word there, the Passover. The festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. They're not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Passover. Wow. At a time when they should be selecting the lamb uh, that they would sacrifice at Passover, what they're planning is how they're going to, to kill Jesus. What they don't know is what they intend for evil. God is going to use to complete his plan to sacrifice the true Passover lamb. You guys learned about the Passover lamb in, in, in Sunday school and in your reading since that time. Let, let's just think of the comparisons between the Passover lamb of Exodus and the portrait that it gives us of our Passover lamb, God's ultimate Passover lamb. Remember that John said about Jesus. Remember the first, the first chapter of the book of John. John the Baptist sees Jesus. Twice in that chapter, he says, 
Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let's look at the comparison. At the time of the first Passover in Exodus, the people are held as slaves in Egypt. They've been slaves for 400 years. God sends Moses to get them free. To free them from their bondage. For our Passover lamb, we're also slaves. We're slaves to our own sin. And God's sending this Passover lamb to free us from what we deserve. In the first Passover lamb... God sends Moses and he, and he uses nine, nine plagues. These plagues serve as a condemnation of the gods of the world. Our world has its gods too, chief among them being materialism. There's lots of others. We could name a list. I bet we could exceed nine even as the gods of our present age. Of those nine plagues, the people still aren't free. They go through all of that. You'd think plague after plague, we think, surely now, surely now they're going to be free. And they're not. It's only in the last plague when the Lamb of God is sacrificed and His blood is put on the lintel that the people are freed from their bondage. You can try everything in this world to free yourself from your sins. But ultimately, it's going to demand the blood of the Lamb. We aren't saved by the life of the Lamb. We're saved by His death, by the shedding of His blood. After that sacrifice is made, we are started on a journey a journey with God, and we become people of His kingdom, the kingdom of God. We have a king. That's Jesus. We understand these people. They, they wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to be rid of Him. They didn't want to hear from Him anymore. In our world, in our culture, we have people that would like to be rid of him also. They don't want to hear about him anymore. And I, I can't be critical of those people. I can't judge them. I was one of them at one time. I had a variety of reasons I could have listed for not wanting to hear from Jesus anymore. Um, but I think probably the chief uh, among them in my case was that uh, when he was the center of attention, which he needs to be, I wasn't the center of attention. So it's easy to understand these people. They're all around us and on a daily basis. The end of the story that frames this, this, uh, this story here of the anointing uh, is Judas, who is going to sell Jesus. And why? If we look around us in our world, those who would trade on Jesus' name for their own benefit, um, they're, they're, they're with us to this day, aren't they? 
we don't have to go far or look look along before we would see someone, uh, sometimes to our embarrassment, who uses Jesus' name to benefit. And if I were to stand up here and preach so that you would think I'm a clever fellow, then uh, I would also be doing, doing that. So let's not go there today. But it's not hard to see how that, how that happens. In the midst of this, this framing of people who want to kill Jesus and people who want to sell him, we come to Bethany where Jesus is reclining at table. So there would, there would have been a room full of men who wanted to see Jesus and spend time with him. They're at the home of Simon the leper. And this woman comes in with an alabaster jar, very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Very expensive. We're, we're told later in the story that it was worth a year's wages. So, what do you have that's worth a year's wages and would you give it to Jesus? Would you essentially sacrifice it for Him? She takes it and and it's not something that just has a lid or a cork on it as we're used to. In order to use it, she has to break it. In order to get to the contents even. It's sealed she has to break it in order to pour it on Jesus. There's no turning back. There's no, there's no half measure. Oh, I think I'll take just a teaspoon out. Put it on Jesus. There you go. That ought to be enough for you. There's no going back. She's got to take it all. Don't you wonder, how did she come, how did she come to this conclusion that she should do this? I'm thinking she must have had this. It must have been in their home. Perhaps on a shelf or surely with something that valuable, you'd have hidden it somewhere. And she thought, Jesus is coming. I know he's just down the street at Simon's house. I'm going to take that and I'm going to anoint him. Probably the most valuable thing she had. Perhaps a security for the future. Something she could have traded in an emergency when famine came. I don't know the circumstances, but I know it would have been unusual to have that much value just at, at, your, at your disposal. How did she come to that decision? Obviously, the Holy Spirit had something to do with it as we're going to find out later. She seems to be a person of such pure heart that she has no other motives than to simply thank Jesus, to lavish praise on Him by taking this, breaking the neck, and pouring it on Jesus. And when she does, who could be prepared for the storm that erupts? Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume as the smell filled their room? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. 
we get this, don't we? Is we live in a culture of harsh rebukes. You guys read the news lately? <laughs> you don't have to go far to find a rebuke. We, we seem to be a culture where this is just intensified. And as a church, we have to, we have to be careful about that. That we don't become products of our culture. That we treat each other in a far different manner than what is popular and acceptable. Can you imagine if Twitter and Facebook were available as these guys were going after the gal? Can you imagine? It would have been what they call a Twitter storm, right? Hashtag profligate. Hashtag should have fed the poor. Okay. Andrew would have taken a picture, put it on Facebook. Look at what this gal's doing. We told her not to do that. I, gals, you, some of you gals must know. I mean, can you imagine going into a room full of men and then it erupts like this? And, and it, Here's how it works. Gals, just in case you haven't experienced this before. One guy speaks out and he says what's on his mind. Okay? We're going to study next. We're going to start. Wes is going to start preaching next Next week on the book of James, and somewhere in there, it's going to talk about uh, controlling the tongue. Men are not good at this. He's thinking, she shouldn't be doing this. He's thinking, you know what? I don't think God likes what she's doing, and I'm going to tell her. And then everybody else just kind of dog piles on. Okay, that's how it happens. Can you imagine being at the center of that? I'm thinking Jesus kind of lets this play out a bit. Then he speaks up, leave her alone. You know, I want you to be able to tell this story. I would love that. I would love nothing more than if you said, has he really really got this right? (laughs) That would be a great thing if you went home and said, I'm going to read that again. Maybe I even disagree with him on something here, how he's interpreting this. Because I'd like for you to be able to tell this story. I'd like you to be able to at least tell it to yourself. I'd like you to know it because that way you're going to be placed in certain situations. And this story, if you have it in your heart, it's going to inform how you react and what you do. And when you do that, when you learn the story, it would be good if you could use some of Jesus' own words. And start with this easy one. <laughs> Leave her alone. Why, why are you bothering her? Some versions say, uh, uh, why are you making her feel uncomfortable? Why are you doing that to her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor, you're going to have the poor with you always. And you can serve them whenever you want. And indeed, if you look at Jesus' ministry, he served the poor. He encouraged us to do that. He even told us that we would be judged by how we treat the poor. She did what she could. It kind of makes me wonder, why did these guys do this? Why did they go off like that? You know, the first time I read it, I thought, oh, wait a minute now. They've got a point. Jesus loves the poor. Surely he would, want to, he would have wanted to spend that money on the poor. 
rather than himself. I was a bit confused by that. I think, I think here's what's going on. They've learned a principle about serving the poor. And they're quick to take that principle and make a rule out of it. And then they're going to take that one step further and they're going to weaponize it to beat somebody else over the head with it. Be careful. Be careful when you weaponize the things that Jesus has taught you. And in so doing, they miss a beautiful act of worship. When I was in Congo and we were talking about this, I was trying to acquire the words on how to describe this. And I was talking to my friend Mark Limbanga about it. I said, what, what do you think of when, when you read this passage? He said, I think of all the times I have seen somebody else in their worship, maybe a different church I visited or something, and I thought, oh, God's not going to like this. Surely none of you have done that. Here's an act of worship, and they missed the beauty of it. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. My gosh. And here we are today doing exactly what he said. We're telling this story and remembering what this woman has done. Wherever the gospel, let's unpack the gospel just a minute. Let's remind ourselves of this. This week, in fact, uh, J.I. Packer, the theologian J.I. Packer, many of you know him. He just passed away um, this week. And they said, uh, what's the gospel? He summarized, God saves sinners. That was it. That was his, the most succinct summary that he could come up with. Paul says this in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Again, that's just like we told you from the beginning with the Passover. Okay? He's fulfilling those scriptures. Just as those scriptures said, Christ died for our sins. That he was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, then to more than five hundred at a time, most of whom are still alive, then to all the apostles. That's the gospel. And wherever it's preached throughout the world, this woman's going to be remembered. Her among them all. I think she she strikes me as being what Jesus described in the in the Sermon on the Mount as, as pure hearted. Blessed are the pure in heart and with no other motive. The act the act and Jesus' rebuke 
and also his revelation that indeed he would die and be buried and that she had prepared him for that seems to have catalyzed Judas Iscariot's response. He can't take it. He leaves and he goes out and that's when he finds the chief priests and he agrees to betray Jesus, to take money for that, to sell to sell Jesus. Uh, what they were scheming to do in the beginning of the story, he in fact completes. He, he get, makes it easy out for them. He makes their scheme work. But again, what they're scheming to do, God is going to use to complete his purpose. And what this lady has done is an act of worship. God's taken that and made even more of it in preparing his his Messiah for burial. So I'd like it if we could learn this story, if it'd be close to our heart, if we could act in accordance with it. Um, who do you want to be in this story? We know who it is. It's, it's, it's the least powerful person in the room, this woman. She's the one that shows us the way today. She had... An alabaster jar, very expensive. We can't learn the story without being challenged ourselves. What do we have? What is it? What is it that we can give? I don't at all think it has to be something of monetary expense. But we're challenged. We have to think, what is it? What is it that we hold on to for security, perhaps, that we would be willing to give? Perhaps that we would not be willing to give, but we would be led to give in worship and praise. The divider, the, the determinant of, uh, of what the various people in this story do seems to be who they believe Jesus is, what his identity is. She seems to be the only one in the story who understands his identity, who he is. Here's the Messiah, the one who saves me from my sin, the one who forgives sin, the one who sets me free. This is him. And I'm willing to heap lavish praise on him. Are you? Let's pray together. Father God, thanks for giving us this story. Thanks that it's, that it's recorded for us and for our benefit. Help us to learn it. What would you have us do in response to this? Teach us, Father. Use this. Use this time and especially use this story that we would be your servants. In Jesus' name, amen.